0: Welcome to Anchor Church's podcast. Today, Nick talks about going green and loving God. He shares about two philosophical beliefs that contribute to caring for the earth. Let's listen in. The question I wanna start off with tonight is what is that one thing you did as a kid that was so strange and you had no real reason why you did it at all? I'll start off. For me, I tortured ants. And uh, I know that's something I'm not very proud of today. I feel pretty ashamed to say this in front of everybody, but I did. I tortured ants. We had the sandbox out. I grabbed them all. I would sprinkle sand over them. I, I'd dump big piles of sand on them. i watch them crawl out. And when they crawled out, I'd grab my thumb and I'd press them deep into the sandbox. Not my most proud moment. Then i get the kiddie pool out. And uh, the kiddie pool was too, too small for people, but it was big enough for ants, and so I'd grab a bunch of ants. I'd have Antonio. Uh, I'd see what Antonio would do. Antonio would, you know, crawl right out the side. He was great. Antoine, he, uh, he kept paddling, he kept paddling, he kept paddling. He was going to make it to the edge eventually. Um, a- Antony, Antony, he, he rolled over pretty quickly, though, unfortunately. So um, we had a little service for Antony and said goodbye. Well, uh, my crazy antics heh, uh, ended uh, after I realized that ants will sometimes fight back. Uh, ironically, it was at my aunt's house that they did it. See, at my aunt's house, there were these big, massive, meaty ants that like, I've never seen before, invading, infiltrating her space, and nobody wanted to take care of them. And so I stepped up to the plate. And uh, I looked out, I found the, the leader of the group. I grabbed that leader, picked him up, and uh, right away I noticed something. He was acting a little differently than uh, previous ants. Instead of flailing like they all did, he stood his ground. And then he looked at me, and he bit me right in the thumb, and it pinched, and it freaked me out. And so I'm like, okay, all the crazy things I was going to do to this ant, I, I decided I just need to get this ant off of me right now, and I'm just going to kill it. Well, so I pulled at the ant, but he didn't let go. And so I pulled a little harder, and he still didn't let go. I pulled harder, and you could even see my skin, like, pulling up a bit. Like, he had a massive grip. Pulled harder, and pop! Off came the big, meaty ant. Uh, But his head stayed on. It was the most disgusting thing. I shiver when I think about it because I saw his decapitated head in one thumb and the rest of his body in another. It was so, so gross. I'll tell you, I have never tortured an ant ever since that day, I swear to you. For years after that, I had dreams of ants. I had nightmares of ants attacking me, ants filling up my room, flooding the floor with bugs and all kinds of creatures. And I thought, I am done with it and so that has been about 24 years ago and I've been done with the ant torture business ever since then don't try hiring me out as an exterminator I'm not gonna do it but recently I decided to look up I was curious I thought okay well uh how how big a deal was it that um I tortured ants like like is that unhealthy for kids to do So I looked it up, and believe it or not, the Internet was torn, you know? Most people agree on the Internet. For this one issue, people did not agree. Uh, Half of the people said, yes, it's perfectly fine. This is normal kid curiosity. The other half said that I was a psychopath. In fact, I'll never forget, one of the guys actually said that uh, he was given this question, not ants but worms, right before getting locked up. And he thought to himself, I better not be honest about torturing worms because they're probably trying to see if I'm a psychopath. Later that night, he met his cellmate. He asked his cellmate about it. His cellmate said you did the right thing in lying on that question because they were trying to trick you. They were trying to see if you would be an actual psychopath. He asked his roommate. He said, roommate, why? Well, not roommate, cellmate. Why are you so sure about this? And his cellmate said, well, I'm sure because I just so happen to be a serial killer. And so speaking as an expert, he knew what that question meant. And so we don't know right now if Pastor Nick is a psychopath or if he is uh, just was a curious kid. The jury is still out on that one. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I believe that it was just kid curiosity. But um, we know that people are divided about that. People are, are divided about, people have questions about how badly we treat bugs, but we also are divided about how we treat turtles and how we treat squirrels and how we treat chipmunks and alligators and whales and the sea and The ocean line and 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 the ozone and on and on and on it goes people are pretty divided people are opinionated there are so many questions there's so much confusion there's so much being said about anything environmentalism in fact even when we were posting about our service and we put up going green and loving god you wouldn't believe all the comments and all the opinions that people said about going green and loving god Some people said there you can't go green and love God. Some people said we were hypocrites for serving chili and going green. I mean, people have all kinds of opinions, and it can get pretty difficult trying to see where you fit. I don't know where you're at. Maybe for you, you sit in the camp where you, um, maybe you're pretty skeptical about it all? Maybe to you, recycling is a little bit of a joke. You see that there's two places you can put your trash at Starbucks, but at the bottom, you notice that both those places go to the same trash can? You wonder, is recycling even real? Maybe for you, you're skeptic, and, and, and do you think that uh, climate change and global warming is just a scare tactic? Maybe, maybe that's not you. Maybe you're not that cynical. But for you, going green and feeling guilty go hand in hand. Maybe for you, you are always feeling bad. You never feel like you've done enough. And you're always wondering what people are thinking of you and how you're being judged for not putting your trash in the right place. Or maybe, maybe you just feel bad. You're like, I can't afford to eat organic. Is that okay that I don't eat organic? And, and you put all this pressure on yourself. Maybe, maybe you're different. Maybe you don't feel guilty. Maybe you feel frustrated. And you think about all the greedy corporations who are trying to make an extra buck at the expense of our planet, at the expense of our future generations. And you think that is some of the worst evil imaginable. And you think that needs to change. And you feel like you're you're chicken little screaming, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, and nobody is listening to you. Because you see the dangers ahead with global warming and, and, and the pollution that we're dealing with. You know, we could be so divided, we could be so torn over these questions. I, I know for me, internally, I'm pretty torn because I grew up at school when I was told that uh, the recycling is a good thing and we have to care for the planet, but at church, at church it was a different story. At church I had this subtle message that if you're going to be a good Christian, then you're not going to care about the environment that much that that's what the non-christians do good christians just trust god and they don't worry about things like recycling and stuff they don't worry about taking care of the planet because god's in control god's got this and so i grew up so torn with it and so today we're going to try to bring some clarity and we're going to talk about what christians should really believe about environmentalism we're gonna ask a question does loving god mean going green and to do that, we're going to take it in two big categories. One is the beginning, and the other is the end. When we talk about the beginning, we'll start with uh, with that. We can talk about different questions like, where did we all come from? We're going to talk about questions like, what, what do we think of the earth? We're going to ask questions like, uh, what is our purpose? Who is God? All those kinds of questions, the origin of the universe, stuff like that. And to start, we're going to talk about the atheist. That's going to be the first belief system that handles these beginning questions. And so for an atheist who doesn't believe in God, um, they will see the purpose of humanity as survival. And really, we don't call it like the purpose of humanity. We're going to call it like an internal drive because we don't have like divine purpose. There's no God. But an atheist is going to see glory and wonder and, and even mystery in the world to see how through through all of these different years through all these different odds that we do have a planet with life an atheist going to admit that this is pretty wonderful pretty incredible outstanding that we have a world like this world but the atheist if the atheist is being honest they're gonna uh, they're gonna admit that we've seen worlds come and go and we've seen species come and go and so our world and our species isn't any different than the other ones. And so we know that our Earth is extremely fragile, which means our response is gonna be fear because at any moment, um, for all the different tools we have to predict things, we could go at any moment without any kind of warning, really. And so that would make us pretty afraid because we have such a fragile world. The next belief system is the pantheist. And that, um, maybe you haven't heard the word pantheist, but pantheist believes not that there is no God, but that God is in all things, that everything is sacred, everything is divine. And so maybe you've heard the word, you know, Mother, mother Earth, Mother Nature. Maybe, um, you know, the expression, like, the universe is trying to tell me something. You kind of see God at work, but it's not that there's an external God, but the God is everything. And so the purpose of humanity in this system is harmony, because everything's just as divine as everything else. And so really, by harmony, I mean we need to keep our hands off, because everything around us has the divine in it. And so we need to not mess with it, because the earth we see as divine or sacred. And so our natural response would be guilt, because if humans have done anything, it would be the humans have kept our hands involved in everything. And we, we haven't kept our hands off of anything. We have been involved all from sea from to sea. We have been involved and we have been using resources and all, to our own means. And so we really have reason to feel guilty if we're a pantheist. And the next belief system is this, is, is the Christian. And what does the Christian believe about God? Well, we believe that God is the creator, that God is separate from the universe, but that God is very close with the universe very close with his creation. The purpose of humanity is found in Genesis one where we see that we were all made in the image of God. And so, you know, there, there's a little mystery there. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, I guess we're, we're second in command, so to speak. We're made to represent God, to do God-like things. And so, already in Genesis, we see that God is creating. We're seeing that God is ruling and reigning and blessing. And so, we're st- to create things and to bless things. And so our response is a sense of responsibility because the earth is the Lord's. And so we've been given stewardship and management over his creation. It's not ours, it's his. And so we're responsible. And uh, it's really important for us to know what we're responsible to do. And there's two things. The first is in Genesis 1, 28, we see that we're responsible to rule. We're responsible to rule. In Genesis 1, God blesses humanity, and God says, Be fruitful and multiply. Let there be abundance, he's saying. Be fruitful and multiply, and subdue the earth, and rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. We are to rule. Genesis 1 says we are responsible to God to rule. Rule. And when I think of this responsibility to rule, I think of creating abundance by using the natural resources available to create an abundance and a flourishing all over the earth. We are made to rule and to manage what God has given us. And so when I think of Genesis one responsibility, what that makes me think of is I think of the good old fashioned dollar. And I don't know, maybe our world will go to cryptocurrency one day and there won't be physical money anymore. But there is something symbolic about holding $200 cash in your hand. I think of the almighty dollar when I think of ruling. And um, and some people would say that money is evil. I don't think money is evil. I don't think it's the root of evil. I think it's a tool. It's a necessary tool to do what God has called us to do, and that is to rule. Our first responsibility is to rule. And so we've got, we've got the first kind of green is to rule. Well, there's a second kind of green and there's a second kind of responsibility and that is to care. In Genesis 2, we see that Adam was put in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And so we have a second responsibility. We have a second green and that is honestly, if I were to be totally transparent with you guys, a little less appealing to me. Because I would take $200 cash over a little house plant. But, we got to admit, this is one of the two responsibilities we've been given as humanity. So that means we need to leave the poor ants alone. That means we've got to create a system and an e- help the ecosystem to be a place where all creatures flourish because we are given responsibility to care to care the second responsibility the second green and and God cares a lot about this one in fact all throughout the bible we see glimpses of how God cares for the planet we see this right here in um Uh, I like how Ray Bolin, who's a PhD in molecular and cell biology, he points out all these different places. He says, you know, Leviticus 25, it speaks of the care Israel was to have for the land. Or Deuteronomy 25 speaks of, uh, it indicates the proper care for domestic animals and respect for wildlife. In Isaiah 5, the Lord judges those who have misused the land. In Job 38, it, it speaks of God's nurture and care for his creation. And Psalm 104 tells us that certain places were made with certain animals in mind. So we actually have a biblical precedent for things like national parks. And then in Matthew 6, we see where Jesus talks about how the Father cares for even the smallest sparrow. And are we to do any less? God cares for the planet. God created it with love, and he cares for it deeply. And so we, as his image bearers, are made to care for the planet but like i said if you were to be given a choice if we were to do a raffle today and you were to be given an option between 200 dollars cash and a little house plant i believe one green might just win in the fight i believe one green might just get a little more attraction from us you see the problem is Some Christians are reading Genesis 1, and they see our responsibility to rule, but they don't read Genesis 2 and see our responsibility to care. The problem is, to rule is a little more appealing, it's a little more fun, it's a little more attractive than to care. But we were created for both. We were created for both. I think of my my game as a kid, this computer game, Roller Coaster Tycoon, when you can design your own theme park. And the objective of the game was to make money. And so the very first thing that I would do when I was playing Roller Coaster Tycoon is I would demolish all the trees because they were just in the way of making money. And so when it comes to a competition between the economy and the ecosystem, one tends to get the advantage over the other. We learn it as kids, just good, pure capitalism, right? But that isn't the way we were made. So we need to recognize and we need to work even harder to elevate this green over above this green because when paper, uh, when it's green versus green, then paper beats plant every time, unfortunately. And so from the beginning, we were made to rule, we were made to make green, and we were made to care. We were made to go green. Now let's talk about the end. And the question with the end is to ask, how is it all going to end? How, how is the world going to end? Is it going to end in a ball of fire? Because that's what I was raised believing was that the world was going to collapse in on itself, or, or, or God was just going to hurl fire at the earth. Maybe as a scientist, you may see that the, the sun's going to expand to such a spot that it's going to engulf all kinds of planets, including the earth, and it's all going away. And there will be no traces of it any longer. And now that's why we got to work at colonizing Mars right now, because the earth has got a time limit. Is that really, though... What the Bible says. I mean, that's what I always grew up believing. I mean, didn't you grow up believing, for those of you who grew up in a church, that that, that when you die, you go to heaven? But what if that's wrong? Here's the thing, is if you believe that when you die, you go to heaven, and the earth is abandoned, then you're not going to take very good care of the earth. N.T. Wright talks about wallpaper. He says, if you know that your house is going to be demolished the next day, you're not going to put wallpaper on the walls. It just makes sense. It's, It's kind of wasting your time. But what if, what if we've been wrong this whole time? What if the Bible paints a picture not of us abandoning earth to go to heaven, but a picture where heaven is coming down to earth? Where well, the picture starts in the Garden of Eden where there's an overlap between heaven and earth. And because of sin and because of the wrong we've done and us choosing our own way over God's way, that 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 overlap has been separated. And then there's two worlds. There's the world of earth and the humanity and the world of heaven and God. And, and what if God's not in the business of plucking us out of one world and placing us into another? What if he's in the business of bringing the two worlds back together again. You know, it makes you kind of rethink some things, like in the Lord's Prayer when when Jesus says to pray in Matthew 6, may your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Or in Isaiah 66 or Revelation 21 where we hear these traces that God is creating a new heaven and a new earth. What if they aren't just two separate things? What if the new heaven and the new earth are meant to be one thing totally overlapping one another wouldn't that make you think of environmentalism a little differently i think it really should in fact we have this entire chapter in first corinthians 15 that talks about the resurrection and how jesus rising from the dead is what christianity hinges on And if Jesus rises from the dead and he has a resurrection, then we're going to have a resurrection. So many Christians, we see the word resurrection, we just think giving uh, maybe spiritual new life. But to the ancient thinker, and to, to Paul, when he uses the word resurrection, it's very specific. It is a bodily resurrection. Jesus didn't just rise from the dead in his spirit. He didn't turn into a ghost. His body itself was brought back to life. And here's why that's important is because this whole theology of resurrection means that there will be traces of the old in the next age. What this means is that what you do today will carry on in some way tomorrow. When Jesus rose from the dead, he was given a new body and it was transformed and he could do things like walk through walls, things he couldn't do before. But he also had the same scars. He had, from the past, it carried over. What if, what if us Christians saying that when we die, we go to heaven, there's no continuation, what if we're being like Walter White in Breaking Bad? Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen and you still want to, you've had enough time by this point. In Breaking Bad, here's the synopsis. We've got a man who hates his life. He's an overqualified high school chemistry teacher. Hates his life, and he finds out that it's going to end soon. He finds out he's got cancer, and he's going to die. Very, very, very soon. And so his priorities shift. He no longer cares about doing the right thing. Now what he cares about is leaving enough money for his wife and kid. And so he does what... Ever it takes to leave them with enough money to live on. And so as an overqualified chemistry high school teacher, he does what he does best. He cooks the best meth in New Mexico. And, and he makes tons and tons of money selling his soul. But he knows he's going to die, so what's his soul worth? The catch was that he wasn't actually going to die. He ends up getting better. See, see, what if us Christians are selling our souls, so to speak? What if what if us not caring about the earth is actually a huge mistake? What if we're doing a Walter White move right now by by not caring about the earth because it's all gonna blow up one day, but actually it's gonna continue on. At the end of 1 Corinthians 15, in this long conversation about resurrection, we would think that Paul would say, So come to know Jesus so that you get resurrected. Because nothing else really matters, right? That's not what he says. At the end of this long chapter, what he says is in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, he says, your labor is not in vain. I believe what he's talking about is that what you do now, the kindness you showed now, will continue on in the next stage. The justice you fight for now will continue on in the next stage. The people you impact, the the family you have, in some sense, will, will continue on. The relationships you have will continue on. And the way you treat the planet will continue on in some way in the next age. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells this parable, the story about this guy who leaves people with money to invest. And he comes back years later and he says, what did you invest in? The first two people say, I invested, I made some more money for you. The third guy says, nah, I played it safe. Well, he punishes the third guy, but he rewards the second or the first two. And this becomes a picture of Jesus entrusting us with something and Jesus coming back. And Ray Boland asked the question: When Christ returns to see the earth corroded and gross and ugly, how much will you and I be held responsible for how we treated? The planet. So, as Christians, shouldn't we care more about the earth than anyone else? As Christians, we have two big reasons, too, right? The beginning and the end. From the beginning, we're made to rule and to care. In the end, we will see what we've done endure on, because our labor is not in vain. And so, should we care that? three species a day are becoming extinct? Should should we care that that the world's largest produce providers are using extraordinary amounts of chemicals? Should we care that human garbage is being spread across the oceans? Should we care about little Ella, who for three years of her life fought for her life? Many believe that because of air pollution, her lungs were weakened. And after three years of fighting, she lost the battle. And she lost her life at the age of nine. Should we care that little Ella never got the chance to graduate high school, never got the chance to to go to college, never got the chance to start a career, to get married, to have a family? None of that was available to her. Should we care? Should we at least ask the question, could her death have been prevented? I think we should. And I think we could do a little better. We don't need to feel a huge weight of guilt, necessarily, because not any one particular person contributed to this. We don't need to be afraid as if you know, We never know what's going to happen, and at any moment, we could all die. We don't need to be afraid, but we need to feel responsible to do something. We need to feel hopeful that what we do will not be in vain. And so we're going to take steps. We're going to start where we're at, and we're going to learn, and we're going to grow, and we're going to take one step at a time. We're going to listen to the experts. We're going to learn to recycle and reuse we're going we're to plant a tree. We're going to see how we can consume a little less. We're going uh, to go out and do some spring cleaning. We're going to take these little steps because we know that we have been given a God-given responsibility. And when Christ returns, we, we will have no reason to be ashamed because we know that what we do now affects the age to come and we know that our labor is not in vain. Thank you for listening to Anchor Church's podcast. Every month we upload new episodes to help you grow in your faith and your relationship with God. If you'd like to get involved further or give in to the mission of Anchor, please check out anchorchurchil.com. We'll see you next time.